good Sunday morning to all of you. It's just really great to see you guys this morning. Great to sing, worship our God together. Uh, for those who are listening online, you just missed the singing with us. Hopefully you had a chance to, uh, to do some of that on your own, in your car, or whether you're bopping, whatever it is. But um, spending time doing that. But I just love doing this, spending time together as, uh, as his family. And so I'm really excited this morning. Um, I'm usually excited, but I'm just like extra excited this morning. We're starting a brand new series here that, that I have been thinking about for months and months and months and just not sure when it was going to be able to happen. But it's happening, and I'm pretty uh, pumped about that. And this, uh, this series started with just two words that came to me, pro- I don't know, maybe, maybe a year ago already. And it was these two words, making history. Making history, that's, that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple, of, uh, next couple of weeks. And when you see those words, making history, what does it make you think of? When, when you hear the word history, what, what does it make you think of? Delirious? Delirious? <laughs> for me, for me it, it makes me think of famous things, right? We were, like, in, when you study history, you remember famous people, places, and um, uh, events. For instance, who is this guy? Einstein. Any of you met him? No, but how come you know about him? Because he was famous, right? He's a, he's a famous person. What about this? Anybody know where this is? Eiffel Tower. Have you been there? Yeah. I have. Few of you have. Many of you have not. But how do you know about the Eiffel Tower? It's a famous place. What about this event? Anybody know what this is? Titanic sinking. How do you know that? That's over 100 years ago. But why do you know about that event? Because it's famous, right? Those are famous things that make history. And so the question that I have for you and for myself this morning is, are you making history? Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe. uh, So like in 100 years from now, when when, you know, one of my great, great grandkids is pastoring Kingsway, will they put my face up on there and everybody's like, oh yeah, that's Mark Vanderweer. No, thanks a lot. (laughs) How about you? If we put your face up there in 100 years, will they remember it? I don't know, right? Like, are we making history or not? See, uh, when we think about being famous, you know, it's something that a lot of people want to be, but we're just, we're not sure, you know, if, if we're going to be remembered. I have another thought for you this morning. Have you ever done a puzzle? You've like, you know, maybe those ones with your kids or nine pieces, like, if you're, if you're not a puzzler, those are your favorite ones because they're done and you're gone. But have you ever done a really big puzzle, like thousands of pieces, and it takes a long, long time, and, uh, What's the worst thing that can happen to you when you're doing a really, really big puzzle? How is that like everybody knows that, right? When you're missing a piece, that's the worst thing that can possibly happen. Well, there's a guy named Robert Miles. He's from Kelowna, B.C. He spent 14 months working on this 6,000-piece puzzle. It's a, it's a Bavarian castle. 14 months to make that, only to find out that one piece was missing right here down in the corner. To spend that much of your life anticipating, I will complete this puzzle, to, to find that he couldn't complete it. So he made a piece of cardboard, and he stuck the piece of cardboard in there to complete it. And he said, you know, it did not feel the same. It was not what I anticipated the joy of completing this puzzle was going to be, because it's that missing piece. They figured it might be under the puzzle somewhere, but he said, we'll never find out until we take the whole thing apart. And this is Robert Miles. Here's a picture of him. He's not a very happy camper. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be either. You know, you're 71, you're running out of time, you just spent one whole year on a puzzle that didn't happen. Do you know what's really interesting? Many of you would have gotten a puzzle piece as you walked in this morning. I just want you to take a look at it, dig it out of your pocket, and 
Some of you are like, someone else did this before, so this is like, this is not new. I, I know it's not new. Uh, I just wanted to give you something so you stop complaining that the church never gives you anything. Now and we gave you something, all right? You got, a, you got a puzzle piece. But if you take a look at your puzzle piece, do you realize that, that it doesn't really matter which piece is missing from the puzzle? It's not that there's like an, a really, those are really um, important pieces. Any piece that's missing from the puzzle matters. If, the, if it's missing a piece, it, it, it matters no matter which one it is. And so when we gave you one today, I want you to take a look at it and see if, based on what you've got in your hand, can you tell what that puzzle piece is? Can you tell what the picture is? Anybody, what, what do you got? Oh, you got his, oh, you got his piece. I knew it. Anybody else? Maybe you think it's like a field. Last night we had somebody think it was a farmer. Uh, some thought it was a boat. Others thought it was like buildings, a city, city farm. Which is it? Well, um, this is what it is right here. Um, this is, the only reason I got this is it was cheap at Talese, but this is um, the Burano Island Canal. So I have no idea where Burano is, but that's an island canal that's there. And uh, that's what your little piece is making. So, you know, as you look at these, um, at these pieces, they only really make sense when they're connected to one another and complete the whole picture. And so in the Making History series, what we hope to see is how individual stories of people, famous people, um, maybe non-famous people, but how, how those stories connected to one another actually make his story. That it's not history that we're talking about, but that each and every one of you would say at the end that, that this is my story and I'm making his story. And so today we're going to start with uh, someone who's going to be sharing their story with you today. So would you join me as we welcome Vanessa. She did fantastic last night. Hey guys, so I'm Vanessa and uh, my husband Gordon and I have been coming here for I guess close to three years now, but um, you probably really don't know us because <laughs> I've got some social anxiety issues going on and uh, we kind of sneak in when the band's already playing like we did today when it's dark and then we book it out of here as soon as he's done talking. But this is a step in the right direction, so... Um, I love the Lord with all my heart and soul, and I just want to follow where his spirit leads me. And, um, you know, that's why I'm talking today. Um, that's not how I used to feel. Overall, I was a sad and lonely child. And I had, I just remember this very deep-rooted sense of unworthiness. My mom was really young when she had me, and my father left. He wanted nothing to do with us, and that left a really big hole in my heart, not having a dad. My mom avoided getting into another relationship because she was afraid of getting hurt, so I didn't have a replacement father figure. My mom contemplated taking her life when I was two, but with divine intervention, she gave her life to the Lord, and we started to go to church instead. And uh, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was four years old. And uh, yeah, we went to church, but, you know, I just really never felt like I fit in. And when I got older, it was like when I had the choice, I just refused to go. My self-esteem was pretty much non-existent, so I was a prime target for bullies. Um, 
when I reached my preteens, things changed. Um, I really started to develop strong bonds with my girlfriends. And um, when I discovered boys, that was it for me. Everything changed. It was like suddenly my life seemed to have purpose. I got the attention that I had so desperately craved. And I equated their attention as love. This led to my pregnancy at 14 years old. <laughs> the boy was 13, and I had an abortion. I spent all day in the hospital by myself. It was very traumatic. I was a child myself. It wasn't long after that that I discovered alcohol. Alcohol was a game changer for me because it made me not care. For so long, you know, I felt so unworthy and I thought everybody else would see that too. So I cared what everyone thought. And when I drank, I didn't care what people thought of me anymore. In fact, on the contrary, I would let them know exactly what I thought of them. I was angry and I had rage. I would get violent. I would get into fights with other girls. I got charged as a young offender with assault for beating up another girl. My life just mostly consisted of drinking, smoking pot, going to raves and taking ecstasy. One of these bouts of taking ecstasy landed me in the hospital, and uh, I began having regular panic attacks after that. I was referred to a psychiatrist, and I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I was put on medication, and it really didn't do much. I mean, I went through periods of time where I seemed to be okay, but uh, it was nothing for me to go days um, or even a week or more without barely getting out of bed, having a shower, or even brushing my teeth. In the midst of this, I decided that I wanted to look for my biological father. And I found him. He just lived the next city over. As I said, he left when I was a baby. I didn't know him. I was elated because, you know, it was like, finally, I have a dad. He's my dad. And you know, my dad was cool. My mom and I were not getting along then at all, and uh, he wasn't a strict Bible thumper like my mom. That's how I looked at it. My father loved to drink, and uh, he liked to party, and he did so with me and my friends. He also hit on my girlfriends, and we would drink in his car, and he would drive us around loaded out of his mind. But like I said, he was cool, or at least that's what I thought. So when I fell pregnant again at the age of 19, I went to my father. And of course, he said all the cliches. Vanessa, you're so young. You're going to ruin your life. You just started a good, respectable job. The guy you're with is a loser. He's a thug. Don't even think about this. Why would you even think of ruining your life? 
So I looked up to my father, and I didn't want to disappoint him. And I agreed to end the pregnancy again. My father offered to take the day off work and take me to the clinic in Toronto. He dropped me off, and he told me he'd be back when it was over. And he did. He came back when it was done, and he picked me up. And he gave me a teddy bear and some candy. And then he drove me home and dropped me back off at the apartment where I lived with my mom. And I went to work the next day as though nothing had happened. I drifted further and further away from God. My mental health went from bad to worse. I went from one abusive relationship to another. I allowed men to physically and sexually abuse me. And I truly felt that I deserved it. I started cutting myself and I developed bulimia. I had to get my front teeth fixed because I had eroded away all the enamel on my teeth from making myself vomit. I could barely hold down a job and I continued living a promiscuous lifestyle until I met my new boyfriend at work I was infatuated with him. He, he had it all together. I thought he had it all together. He basically molded me into who he wanted me to be. And I was fine with that. I embraced it because, remember, I thought I was nothing. A loser. So when he told me how to dress and what to wear and to lose weight and, um, you know, how to talk and how to act... I listened. So when I got pregnant again, I thought this time it's going to be different. He loved me and I loved him. We'd make it work. And at first this really seemed to be the case until he realized that I wanted to continue the pregnancy. Then he started telling me, how selfish I was. He said, Vanessa, it's despicable that you would even consider this. You're a drunk. You're a drug addict. You can't even hold down a job. You cut yourself with knives, and your head is constantly in the toilet, throwing up. Your mental health is off the rocker. You're nuts. And you want to bring a child into that? How could you possibly be so selfish? How could you be so selfish? How could you do that to your child, to our child? So that's how I saw it, that I would be, I was selfish. My fear of abandonment from male figures in my life was of paramount importance over anything else. I would avoid it at all costs. So I chose my boyfriend over my unborn child. I agreed again to terminate the pregnancy. And I want you all to know that I am not deflecting blame onto my exes or my father for that matter because even though they were obviously a very important part of what transpired 
I fully accept my responsibility for the choices that I made. And I know how truly wrong those choices were, how sinful they were. And I've had to live with that. After the procedure, he drove me back to my apartment. I lived on my own at that point. And I went to the bathroom. And that's when I saw blood. And that's when it really hit me, the gravity of what I had done. the gravity of what I had done and what I had lost. I crawled into the corner of my tiny bathroom and I just screamed at the top of my lungs, I want my baby back. I just screamed, I want my baby back. But my baby wasn't coming back. My baby was gone. The loss of all of my unborn children hit me right then and there. The shame and regret that I felt was so overwhelming. I was suicidal, and I honestly could not care less whether I lived or died. I hated myself. Hated myself. Eventually, my friends, my so-called friends, party friends, convinced me to get out of bed and party my blues away. I still believed in God, but I always got sucked right back into that lifestyle again. So I checked out the gay scene for a while. I thought maybe it would work with women because I hated men. I despised them at this point. When that didn't work out, I started hanging out with criminals. I met a new guy, my new boyfriend, who was a big-time drug dealer. And I started doing cocaine. Members of a biker gang started to frequent my house. My place was a party house. And uh, I remember one time when... We were all partying. My aunt actually had given me a cross on a plaque, and I, I had it hung up on the wall in my apartment. And I remember one of the guys, this biker, said to me, you know, honey, what's that up there on the wall? And I was like, what? And he's like, that. I'm like, it's a cross? He's like, why is it up there? I'm like, because I believe in God. He's like, really? Honey, I thought you were smarter than that. Like, seriously? I mean, come on. Sweetie, God's not real. And I said, yes, he is. And he's like, okay, sure, as you sit there and snort your lines. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You're right. What I'm doing right now is so wrong. What all of us are doing is so wrong. And I need to stop doing this. My life is completely messed. I said, this is not what God intended for my life. And I said, you mark my words, 
I'm going to change it, and this is going to stop. They really didn't have a clue what to say. I remember they kind of looked at me like, whatever, because, I mean, like, that's not normal party talk with bikers, but, yeah. That was a real turning point for me. Um, the next day, I got down on my knees, and I told the Lord that I was tired of running from him, and I prayed for his forgiveness, and I asked him to guide me to where he wanted me to be. I moved to another city, and I left all those relationships behind. I started to go to church again, and I rededicated my life to the Lord. I sought his forgiveness for all my sin. I was baptized, and I started to develop healthy relationships with other Christians. Through the church community, I was referred to a Christian counselor that referred me to a psychiatrist. It was then that I was properly diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. I had been misdiagnosed for so long. All I can say is that it started with God, and from there, the door is open for me to get the help that I needed with my mental health condition. I stopped drinking and doing drugs, and I started to build healthy relationships. I also decided that I wanted to have a healthy relationship with a man, because I'd never had one in my life. I'd never gone on a date or done any of those things. I wanted to meet a Christian man And I found him. God led me to Gordon. I love you. He's been my rock through all this. But Gordon and I, you know, we met later in life. And I thought, okay, we're old, but we're not that old. Right? So let's let's try to start a family. Sure enough. Fertility issues. I figured it was always my worst fear. I was going to be punished because of my past. It was all my fault. I thought, he doesn't deserve this. To be with someone like me that did what I did. You know, because although I had rededicated my life to the Lord and I'd sought his forgiveness, I was still affected by my past. I knew I was saved, but I just couldn't get past a lot of the hurt, and it really started manifesting itself again in unhealthy ways. You know, but God doesn't wave some magic wand and make everything perfect in our lives. That's not what I'm here to say, because that's not true. Instead of continuing to ask God to help me deal with my feelings and rebuke Satan, whatever was going on, I was having such a hard time being haunted by my past. I prayed instead, Lord, is there something you want me to do? What do you want me to do? When I did that, God opened my eyes. I did have work to do. And I had to do a lot of work in order to truly heal He allowed me to know that it wasn't going to be easy, but he was going to be with me every step of the way, that he would never leave my side, that he never had, and he never will. 
That's when I found Carol from the Haldeman Pregnancy Care and Family Center. She's awesome. She was here last night when I was talking. Carol is the executive director there, and they have a post-abortion recovery program. And it's, 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 it's amazing. It's called Living in Color. And uh, Carol walked with me through that journey. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but it was one of the best things that I've ever done. I just want everyone to know that if you're dealing with something painful in your past that you can't seem to get beyond, or in the present for that matter, I just want you to know that you're not alone. I was bound by guilt and shame and regret for so long. I, I was in great pain, and being in pain led me to make choices that caused even more pain. It was just a vicious cycle. God doesn't want us to be in pain. I have made a choice now to believe God's word and not the lie, all the lies and the torment from the enemy. I recently found out that my ex-boyfriend, the drug dealer, he just went to prison for attempted murder. So, you know, sometimes I look back at my life and I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. But that being said, you know what? This really is not about me anyway. It's about God. My life is simply a great testament to how truly amazing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. God has taken my sinful past as ugly and dark and as tragic as it was, and turned it into something so beautiful. That's what God does, because it glorifies him. My story is really God's story, a story of forgiveness, redemption, restoration, and unconditional love. I just want to thank all of you because this has really been a healing experience for me. Being able to share my story with you, it just shows me even more the truth of God's word because I am forgiven, I am unashamed, and I have no reason left to hide. After a lifetime of living in a self-imposed prison. The shackles and chains are broken. The old me is dead and gone. I know now that I am truly free. I'm finally free to fly and be exactly who God created me to be. So you guys, I look forward to getting to know you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, I don't think that I'm going to be able to be incognito and sneak in and out of here anymore because <laughs> I think you guys are going to know who I am now. Thank you so much. Thank you.
amazing. Why do we do this? Because there's something so powerful about a story. A story that just shows the power of God to change lives. You've heard about it in my life, but your past may not look like my past. And my story may not reach you the same. Um, But to see how stories are so, so effective of realizing that there's some of you here this morning that you feel like she felt. You feel like you're in that prison still. You gave your heart to the Lord, but that guilt and that shame just cripples you. We're here this morning to say shame off you. When everyone says shame on, we say shame off of you because that's what Jesus says. When there's all that pain, he took that, carried it for you. I want to close today. Uh, Over the next four weeks, I'll be preaching one sermon in four sections, 10 minutes each. This one won't. This one won't. Yes, enough cheering. But she just shared some powerful things about how God took what was broken and made something beautiful. We sang about it this morning. But what we want you to realize is that God wants to use your story. Maybe you're not sure what your story is, but he wants to use your story in the big picture of his story. It's not just the famous people. Do you realize God does use famous people? There was famous people in the lineage of Jesus. Um, How many of you have heard of Abraham before? Uh, Isaac? Jacob? King David? You heard of them? Okay. How, How many of you have heard of Perez? Not Perez Hilton. Perez. No. Well, Perez was the father of Hezron. How do you not know that? How many of you? Yeah, I didn't teach you. It's my fault. How many of you have heard of Hezron before? Perez was his father? Hezron? No, Hezron was the father of Ram. Anybody heard of Ram? No. Do you realize that without Perez, Hezron, and Ram, there's no Jesus? All three of them were in the lineage of Jesus? They're, they're not famous. We know the stories of the famous ones. We'll be talking about some of them over the next number of weeks, but there was these people who weren't famous. They were just normal people. But without them, there would be no Jesus. And we think about the church we know the famous people who started the church. Anybody heard of Peter? James? John? You should all be nodding, I would hope. <laughs> they wrote letters that are in the Bible. Peter, James, and John. You know, the next generation, what we don't often realize is the next generation, not as famous, but you've probably heard of Timothy. You've probably heard of Titus. Have you heard of Apollos? Some have. Good. Well, the next generation, what about Clement of Rome? Ah, uh, nah, not so much. Ignatius of Antioch? Polycarp of Smyrna. Do, do you realize, though, without those three and many others like them, we are not here today? Because they took what Jesus said and what the disciples said and said, we believe this and we will give our lives for this. We will take what we've been given and give it to the next generation or at least give it to someone else. And that is how Jesus designed and his idea for building the church, which is what you are a part of. I want to leave you with two scripture verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It's probably good that we read some of the Bible in church. It says this, remember, 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 remember. Don't forget this, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes. See, some of us weren't the most smartest. Few of us were powerful. We weren't like the top dogs. 
in our school, in our workforce, in our county. Few of us were wealthy. It wasn't just for the rich and famous when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish, the world considers shameful, in order to shame those who think they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, what we would say possibly feels worthless, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God because it was about him doing this thing. It was like, I look at that life and I'm like, there's no way that, you know, you can, even with Vanessa's life, you realize that there was God in the middle of that. If there's any credit for it, it's God. My life, if there's any good in it, it's because of him. In your life, it's the same. I think Gary shared it last week that this was God's plan, that his wisdom would be to use the church to show the unseen world his wisdom and his power to change lives. And so we say that this morning. It's just like a puzzle piece. Take a look at your piece. Take it home with you. Some of you are like, this puzzle piece is not that valuable. Most of you are going to chuck it on the way out. See if I give you anything ever again. (laughs) But you look at the puzzle piece. You're like, it's really not that valuable. It's really not that exciting or that important. But connected to the rest, it makes something beautiful. And when it's missing, it really, really is important. And Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I'm going to build my church that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my gathering of people. I'm going to build my history of people. I'm not building buildings, not building traditions. I'm building a group of individual pieces. And without them, without those pieces, here's what I want you to think about this morning. That you are one of those pieces. That Jesus' command was, be a disciple. Come follow me. And now go make other disciples. Share your story. He called each one of us to follow him, commissioned each one of us to make disciples. And just like your puzzle piece, take your puzzle piece for a second. Just try and see if it fits with the person next to you. Just see. Maybe you've tried it already. Any that fit? I'm hoping no, because it'll ruin my point. See, you're... Your piece may not have connected. Please don't miss this part. Your, your piece may not have connected to the next piece in the row. And it's the very same thing that your story may not necessarily connect to the people in these rows. That your story, that your piece of the puzzle, it's meant to be connected to others. You, you know, if you, if you dig through the box long enough, you will find other pieces that connect to that piece. Why? because they were designed to connect to that piece. And there's people who may not be in this building, people who are broken, people who feel hopeless, people who feel worthless, people who feel trapped, people who feel self-righteous, people who feel like they got it all together. And yet they're missing something right here, and it's him. I could go and share my story, but my puzzle piece only connects with other people who went through similar things as me. Your story connects with people in such different ways, you know, that, that only your puzzle piece will connect. So the thought behind this is that you would think about your story, and not just your story, how God affected your life. As a follower of Jesus, for some, you're like, ah, you know, yeah, I thought he was just going to do it all. 
I love how Vanessa shared, there's some walking, but guess what? As you walk with him and as he begins to do those things and bring healing in your life, and you can share that with others. Paul said, we were like persecuted and we went through rotten times, but because of that and because God sustained us, we're now able to comfort those who are going through the same things we went through. He wants to use your story, but he can't do it without you. So our challenge is that there's a world all around us we're saying, go out into that world with your story of him, of how he's affected your life. Be that peace that gives others the opportunity to connect to a risen Savior simply by allowing your story to be shared. At work, maybe you're not going to have 25 minutes. Maybe you're not going to share it up here at the front. But our prayer and our hope is that you would think about it and that there will be moments where you see opportunities to share 30 seconds, one minute, whatever it may be that Jesus has done in your life that other people will be able to connect. Because the story, your story, is vital. And our hope is that each and every one of you say, this is my story, and I am making history. That the kingdom, that the church, I'm playing a part in what this is. Because of all those who had gone before us, all the nameless uh, and, and faceless people, we have no idea. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. To take that opportunity to be that for someone else, the bridge that sees them experience our incredible, incredible Savior. This morning, I'll leave you two thoughts. One is this. If you are here and you are, Vanessa's story connects with you, please, please don't stay in that place of brokenness and hurt for another day. You don't need to. I'd encourage you to come talk to her. Come talk to me. Talk to someone and see the opportunity to step out from, from that place. And for everyone else, you know, take this opportunity today to think about your story and what Christ has done in you. And if you're like, ah, I don't know, I just sort of went to church, I'd challenge you to take that same step that Vanessa did, to get on your knees and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. I want to follow you. Would you guide me? Watch what happens. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son for us. Jesus, thank you that you came to do what we couldn't do. You came to live perfectly for us, came to give your life sacrificially for us. You paid our penalty. You paid our judgment. You set us free. Jesus, thank you for changing my life. Thank you for changing lives all over this place. Thank you that you're still wanting to change more lives. As we go from this place, Holy Spirit, help us to hear your voice, to be sensitive to what you desire for us to do. Pray for those who feel like they're in bondage right now, for those who feel ashamed, for those who feel guilt. God, I pray that your light would shine through, that they'd realize that you do not see them that way, that they might be free because of today and because of you. It's in your amazing name. For your glory, we pray. Amen.